you need things to go right. Um, you need to be smart, but you need to be hardworking. And the way I think about it is like with entrepreneurship, there is like a minimum level of intelligence. There's like a, a some number. There's a you have to be somewhat smart, and then after that, it is all work ethic. Mm. Like th that's what differentiates the real winners from 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 everyone else. But again, it, there is a threshold of it, like intellect of being smart. You don't want to just be like dumb and hardworking. You got to be smart and hardworking. Um, and then things need to go right for you. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run. Always chasing. Never stop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. As always, I am joined by Ben. How are you, sir? Doing good. Thanks, Patrick. Today we are joined uh, also by a special guest, Peter Rayall. Rayall. We were. I was just asking the right way to pronounce his name. I think it's Rayall. Um, I'm going to venture a guess and say a lot of people know of you, but don't know you. Um, and so the, the easiest way, I think the simplest way is to say that you founded or co-founded, uh, RX bar, which uh, my guess is that everybody listening to this has had at least one or a hundred. Um, you have since sold RX bar to Kellogg. Um, and I'm actually kind of curious about what you're up to these days. Um, but I wanted to jump into a conversation with you. One, th thank you so much for, for joining us. And, and I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, Ben and I just did an episode couple weeks ago where one of the questions we were talking about or we talked through is this idea of how does CrossFit or how could CrossFit go even further into the mainstream, assuming that it's maybe not fully into the mainstream there. And what Ben and I talked about was probably more along the lines of like, what what needs to happen for the methodology to become more mainstream? What needs to happen for, for more people to be doing functional movements performed at, at relative intensity, et cetera. And I really wanted to talk to you kind of about the other half of that equation. And it's something that I've thought about for a long time as kind of the, the functional economy, which is the economy that sprung up around the movement in, you know, the early 2000s onwards to today, right? Ben, you're certainly part of it. Peter, you're certainly part of it. I've been part of it for years. And to me, the functional economy is almost just as important as the methodology continuing to grow or continuing to get more um, exposure to people for lots of different reasons. One, I think, is because it gives people who are kind of part of the tribe of CrossFit an extension or a way to extend that that uh, that identity to other parts of their lives. Right before we were recording, Ben was talking about the first time he saw an RX bar not in a gym. And it was like, hey, we made it, right? Like we're, we made it outside of a CrossFit gym. And that's kind of what yes. I mean, right? Like being able yeah. to have other brands who allow us to take part in that identity are really important. I think just as important as gyms being successful, just as important as the games being successful. And so what I was hoping to talk to you about is you've done it. You've been one of the few folks who built something inside of CrossFit and grew it and grew it and grew it and then kind of blew past, <laughs> blew past it. Right. And so I'd love just from a really high level, uh, high level perspective from you, could you just talk to us about like what that looked like and what that maybe needs to continue to look like for more brands to be able to be homegrown, but then not stay small, not stay gritty and not stay just inside of uh, a CrossFit gym? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on the, on the show. 
Uh, I think they're really fun topics to think about. So the way we thought about it at the company internally um, was, so the whole strategy was like, let's, let's make a product for our early adopters. Like goes for CrossFitters, by CrossFitters. And then we always thought about how do we, what we called cross the chasm to, to the more mainstream market and how to do that. And we basically spent like two years trying to figure that out. And we viewed it as like, <laughs> I'm going to use an analogy. It might be insensitive, but I don't really care. Um, so say you have a bar in a restaurant, right? And the owners are homosexual. And so it's a gay bar and restaurant. Like <clears throat> you could do two, you could do one thing, but they want to, they want to build a really big business, right? Like gay people are like 10% of the population, you know, CrossFitters are maybe like 0.5% of the population. You know, what, what would be the lazy thing to do to attract the early adopters would just be like, put a big rainbow flag outside. However, that is too polarizing and you deter the rest of the market out. So, but what are the tactics you can do to, to signal to the, the homosexual population that this is a safe place and your peers will be here, but also not alienating the, the heterosexual like mass market. And so like, we, we use that as an analogy for our expo. We're like, we're not going to be waving our like big CrossFit flag too, too proudly. And so the way we, our flag was essentially, or our subtlety was the brand name. So like RX is such a strong meaning in CrossFit. Yeah. Outside of CrossFit, it doesn't, it means like it's super confusing. It doesn't mean anything, you know, it means high standards, achievement. It's like a rite of passage, doing something RX. Like, and so that was like our wink to CrossFitters. Mm. Um, and it, 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 we, we wove, wove the needle well where we didn't turn off too many people with our when we did our branding. Um, so that's, I think, how you got to think about it. Um, I, I like that analogy because, you know, if you want to stay in like a niche restaurant, bar and restaurant, and just have, you know, your demographic there, that's easy to do. But if you want to build a big restaurant chain and, and have stand for something beyond that, you, you have to... Um, weave that needle. That's a good analogy. Yeah. I like it. So what would you, what would you name your restaurant? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I think like, you know, then brand name for us, it's like, what tactics are there? So like you have your name, you have your like color palette, you have kind of your, your, your slogan, you have like inside the restaurant and you can do things, you know? Um, so really looking at like what are the tactics and, and options and signals for 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 communicating yeah so um maybe maybe let's show a little more background for people that aren't super familiar maybe newer to the crossfit space and weren't along the journey of um you know the rx bar um back in the day and i'm gonna kind of like i'm gonna tell this my the, the rx bar story from my point of view having seen it from the um inside the circle but from outside of the company and Back in the day, you know, as everyone knows, CrossFit was very tribal. It was very much um, um, if you didn't, it was it was very strange for a purely new person to walk into the gym. Everyone came as an extension of somebody else. It was always like one degree of separation from, and because of that, there was a lot of benefits because um, the virality to it. When like something happened in CrossFit, like everybody knew about it in every situation, situ uh, every way, and. Because of that, brands caught fire really quickly. The ones that spoke to us, spoke to our ethos, 
um, that were true to who we were, that were a little bit um, against the grain, anti-mainstream, um, not overly salesy, were kind of like the ones that we latched onto really quickly. And no one was really no one was really having protein bars back then in the CrossFit space. Outside of it, huge, massive, right? Bodybuilding world, even the grocery stores, all the rest. Um, but when RX Bar came along, it solved a problem that a lot of people didn't even know that they had. Like a healthy snack you can keep in your car, grab on the way out the gym that had, didn't have crap in it and had some protein. And to the, pat, the story Patrick was alluding to was I can remember us ordering them super early on, you know, circa like 2013, 14, something like that. The We got them, I think, when they were like super old packages. Like it wasn't – I don't want to say it was like – Ziploc bags, but it was pretty yeah. close to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I fast forward a couple of years and I remember being in a, like a Tedeschi's. I don't know if that's a common thing around the country, but it's like a 7-Eleven and seeing them in the 7-Eleven in my local town on Cape Cod. Like, and I was like, <laughs> yes, like, yes, we made it. And I really was like, we, like we made it. Like, it was so cool that like, it's this thing that like, Something that started inside a CrossFit gym, you know, uh, River North CrossFit in Chicago, correct. correct? Yep. Made in your your parents' basement or kitchen, you know, transcended into this thing that, you know, I think everybody that knows the story sold for 600. It's so weird to me that like everyone knows how much your company sold for. <laughs> I don't know why that is. But like, is that a normal thing? Like everyone, like, I think, it's, again, I think it was the pride that CrossFitters mm -hmm. had. Like when that number hit, it was like, Again, like, yes, we've done it. It's like Kellogg is – Kellogg, Kellogg's, I don't know if it's plural – is interested in one of us, like one of our things and to the tune of $600 million. And we were also happy for RX Bar and happy for you. Um, what – maybe I'm going to jump forward a little bit, but what did that – when that happened to you, like we were all like, yes, that's so cool. It gives us all hope. It gives us like – validation that what we're doing is really awesome. What did that moment mean for you? First off, in terms of the business and the opportunities, but secondly, you know, that's the lottery. Like you, like that's like, and everyone says when you win the lottery, you're going to be happy. And kind of that question, like, is this, was it like, no, it's just like back to the grindstone, the next thing, or is it like, the opposite now complacency seeps in or was it like, no, now I'm like truly am happy or what, what happens when you, when you do hit the lottery? Yeah. I, I think the, the lottery wouldn't be a good analogy just because it assumes like there isn't any effort or work. So like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Touche. Yeah, like, yes. I don't want to diminish yeah, that at all. So like, yeah. winning the lottery is like, yeah, it's great. I can do nothing. So me, I could, as an entrepreneur, I was just so conditioned and kind of the family I come from to like love labor, like love your work. And so like, you know, as a company, we didn't like celebrate. We like went back to the grindstone. It, it was, um, you know, more pressure to continue to grow, execute the vision. Um, it did, but it did relieve a ton of kind of pressure and risk because, you know, everything I had was in the company um like all and so it was a very fragile thing so it did take like weight off um me and jared's shoulders so that was relieving but it was it was it was like back to all right what's next how do we keep building um 
Yeah, so that, that was the mindset, and it continues to be. And was, um, you know, what about like, so like the, the, the grindstone and busting along the way and the work and the way you've been conditioned growing up, um, how much do you attribute that entrepreneurial spirit to your success? How much do you attribute to um, solving a problem, to being in the right place at the right time, to the the intentionality behind the brand and everything else it's a combination of all of that like you need things to go right um you need to be smart but you need to be hardworking. and the way i think about it is like with entrepreneurship there is like a minimum level of intelligence there's like a, a some number there's a you have to be somewhat smart and then after that it is all work ethic mm. like th that's what differentiates the real winners from 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 everyone else but again it, there is a threshold of it like intellect of being smart you don't want to be just be like dumb and hardworking. you got to be smart and hardworking, um and then things need to go right for you um for sure especially in a business like consumer packaged goods where there's so much competition you know there's a lot of dependencies it's not you, you don't totally control your fate um and so in, the less you control your fate, the more dependencies you have, the more, the more luck you need. <laughs> so, yeah. Peter, when you say, when you say hard work, I think that's one of those things that we we've heard so often now that we kind of nod our head and say, yeah, work hard, hard, you know, let's do that. Let's sign up for some of that. What did that actually look like for you? Are we talking like, literally we're talking about like 20 hour days for seven straight years, or is there something, I guess it's a leading question because what, when I hear hard work, I try to think like, well, that's a nuanced idea. It's, it's, it's going to be a little bit different. It's not always going to be, you wake up at 6am and you go to bed at 3am and every hour in between is, is, is working. What did, what did that hard work actually look like for you? Yeah. So the business is basically like a, a living organism and it's like a child and you are responsible. And if you don't show up and feed it and take care of it, grow it, it will die. Um, and so, so, I mean, just to give you an insight, like in the beginning, you know, Jared and I would go to the office at eight, we'd set up the production, we'd make like physically bars for five hours, we would like slam food in our face, and then we'd go like react to fires and customer service, and then we would go pack orders, and then we would go, you know, do random like reactionary tasks. And then like on the weekends we would go to, you know, the granite games in Minnesota and fucking run a car and drive yeah. and like sling bars, you know? And then like, so it was just like nonstop that, and, you know, and I would say like, until you get to a point where you're like, all right, we're not, we're not going to die. Like the first, you know, year is like super fragile. Like if the wind blows a certain way, like the business could die. And so, yeah it just requires like all hands on deck. And to be honest, like I was obsessed with CrossFit and training. I had, I had a choice and I like stopped training basically, which was super hard to do because I like loved it. But I was like, all right, I can't, you know, I'm not go to the gym or like reply to customers. It's like, well, I got to reply to customers. So, and, if, and I think that's like, so that's the hard work because, and it's hard also because you have to sacrifice, like you only have time. I think like Sheryl Sandberg talks about this, like you have, you have like work, you have friends, you have family, you have sleep, and then um, uh, what's the other one? You have five things: hobby, yeah, you know, it's like passion, no, faith. it's like work, 
family, friends, um, health, health oh, sleep. Choose three. Mm. <laughs> like if you want to be great, choose three. Like you can't do everything well, and so that's also a, an angle or perspective on like hard, what does hard work mean? Um, it's sacrifice and it's just prioritization. Um, and actually, like at the beginning, it took me a while to like understand um, kind of like how how demanding the business was. You know what I mean? Like I. I was just like, oh, because I, I left from a normal job, and then I'm like, oh, I can still like have freedom and go on vacation. And then you realize, like, oh no, you, it's fucking this, and that's it. <laughs> so, and like that's why, like, there's like two types of entrepreneurs: like ones that fucking grind and build and sacrifice, and then there's like lifestyle entrepreneurs who like want the flexibility, and like they're just very different animals. Um, so, and if you want to be great, and you got to be kind of the the latter or the. the not not lifestyle. Did you did you know that going in? Did you know that that's who you were and what you wanted and what you were willing to put into it? Or is that did you learn that as you went and as you recognized, you know what? I'm okay doing this for another Saturday. I'm okay, I'm okay getting driving to another Granite Games or whatever it might be. Was did you know that going in that you were like, nope, that's who I am and that's what I'm signing up for? I totally underestimated underestimated it. We both did. Yeah. We thought we like, oh, cool, we can be flexible, like. You know, we just like sit here, make bars and ship them. And like, just totally underestimated it. Um, but but I, the only inside, I, I love res responsibility. So I knew I would like the responsibility, but I didn't understand how much work it actually required and how hard it would be. Because mm. like from the outside looking in, it's like easy. Oh, it's just a bar. Like, oh, <laughs> it's kind of like make it and ship it. Yep. There's just so much. It, it's so much more complex. Um, when you're inside it. Was it fun? Um, the question would be like, you got to define fun. Um, <laughs> for me, yeah, like in retrospect, it was amazing. I mean, it was like the biggest growth experience of my entire life without a question. Um, peaks and valleys was a roller coaster. I, I would say I'm like a totally different human in all the, the, the best ways possible. Like if you looked at, if you interviewed me like 2012 to today, it's like I'm a different, totally different person. So there's a massive stimulus to growth. And so growing for me is fun. So I, like, for example, would I do it again? Like, it'd be scary. It's like going, it's like looking at a mountain and be like, fuck, I, I got to climb that. I don't have shoes. I don't have like the proper clothes, but I'm going to go do it anyway. Um, and so, so would I do it again? Yes, I probably would. It's, it's like scary and nervous, but I think it's, it's for a more interesting life. Switching gears, you've been pretty um, um, open about growing up with dyslexia and the challenges you had as a kid. Um, I, same exact thing. So hated school, loved being an entrepreneur. Um, and I think that a lot of people, um, so I don't put words, to me, I feel like, I didn't feel like I was going to be successful growing up because I wasn't successful in school. And I'd love to hear your take on um, your experiences in academia versus your experiences in business. Similarities, differences, and kind of the does one project towards the other? Yeah. So my experience at school, um, I mean, it, it it is a single thing that has shaped and defined my temperament, my character, personality, like without a question. Um, and it's, you know, I would say like 
the gist is like I have a chip on my shoulder. I have like incredible grit. I'm um, irreverent at time. Like I, I you know, um, what's the word? Um, anyway, like rebellious, like risk seeking, and like I don't follow orthodoxy. So like you know, I like look to do things differently. And that's all because I was just ultimately like rejected from the system. Um, and so, you know, the chip on my shoulders has been a real motivator, I think, after school to just like work hard and like prove that all wrong. I mean, I mean, you think about it, if you taste, because you think about it, for, from basically seven years old to like 22 years old in the United States, your marks, your grades determine your like probably the probability of you'll be successful. It's like directly correlated, like, and um, so to taste that failure for so long like really shapes people. Um, so it's kind of this weird thing where it's like a blessing and a curse. Like, I think if you're strong, you get through it, and it's a, such an advantage. But if if you're not, I think it could be very you know very hard to get through that. I mean, I had amazing parents and amazing like support system that like if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't get through. Um, but, you know, that that in the business on the entrepreneur side, it, like it was such an advantage because one, I had I had like was so competitive and wanted to prove that I was was like smart and capable. Um, and then like I kind of said, like, fuck everyone else. Like, I, you know, if you ask me, like, who's a good role model or a teacher? I don't have anyone in my life from a teacher, like as a teacher, like I, I said, like, fuck you to all of them or cause I was so misunderstood. And when you think about like entrepreneurship, like we did everything. If you look at our actual story, like we did things so differently. Like we didn't go to a co-man right away. We didn't use it to like the right, like we just bootstrapped it. Like we didn't follow the like orthodoxy of like how to start a company in 2013. And that, I think the DNA of that is me being like, you know, fuck, I'm not, we're not going to do it that way. Um, we're going to do it our way, what makes sense. And um, so it is really advantageous um, for entrepreneurship and business. And the other thing is like, you know, as a child, like I was, I was so hammered with self-awareness. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I, like professionally when I, we, when I started to manage people, like I saw like 28 year olds, like had no self-awareness. Like they just didn't develop that. Uh, kind of emotional literacy and for me as a kid I like my, I spent like you know 20 years of my life like being very aware of what I sucked at like being very <laughs> aware you know and it's actually the opposite I knew so well what I shouldn't be doing it wasn't until I started a company that I realized what, what I was good at mm. um, and then once you get confidence your insecurities go away and you, you become even more dangerous um, so it's weird though like because I, I wouldn't take away like you know if you're asking me like, oh, do you wish you went to a school that like understood you or maybe better aligned with a, you know, a curriculum that su su supported your, your thinking? Um, the reality is like, no, actually it's not, I wouldn't want that. The adversity was really good. So that's my like perspective on it. I wouldn't change it. And, and it, to be honest, it's a real pattern in entrepreneurship. It's like some like 30% of self-made millionaires, so entrepreneurs are dyslexic. 
Yeah, I've seen that. Like eight percent of the population, five percent of the population. So it's like a pretty good sign. What um, I I I know you're you, you attribute a lot of the success of RX Bar um, to a it's it's a um to the the culture and the team you created around yourself, and I, I believe I've heard you say that um, when scaling as fast as you guys did. That's kind of the stake in the ground that you have to kind of like, this is the thing that you need to make sure you as a CEO, you as the founder kind of hold yourself. Um, that's kind of the job is uh, of the CEO. Um, culture is such a buzzword. It's such a like, like everyone's kind of throwing that word around. What do you mean when you say, or what is it to you? What is it culture yeah. to you? And that was my like first experience with like culture, corporate culture, like culture of the workplace. I was like, it's such a fucking buzzword. And it just means, it means um, ping pong tables and all this like hedonism. And, and I like rejected that. Like work, you, sh you show up to work, work to work. You don't do any, no play, just work. <laughs> it could be fun, but just work. Um, and so, you know, in the early days of the company, it was just like straight survival grinding. Like it was a very like, like yeah grit driven just get it done no fun like work culture and then once we started growing and like got past the survival phase and got to like 10 people and we started hiring i i realized like we had a bit of we had some like we arguably had culture problems we had some personnel issues and like and that's when my like it hit me like holy shit like we're gonna need you know a lot of people here and culture is not like work hard or it isn't it's not like ping pong tables necessarily like culture is is ultimately like how the people work like what what is what is important to the group of people and the thing i really so i basically had to like awaken like all right all a company is is a group of humans so therefore like cultures if humans make up culture culture is really really important um and you know and you see this like I use the analogy of like, all right, so like in a CrossFit gym, for example, like one of the most beautiful things about CrossFit gyms is like the, the owner, the, the founder of that CrossFit gym, his liberty and, and does naturally, intentionally or not, develops their own culture from like the programming to how clean it is, to what they sell, to like the color, like the language used, all of that. And then like, so that's a good example of like culture in action. And like what, and here's the thing, it's whether it's intentional or not, it is going to exist. And it, it, it just, it's an aggregate of all the people. And so like Ben in your box, you're, you're gonna have more influence than say uh, normal members. So like, it's gonna be weighted towards you more. Like your DNA, that's what the culture is gonna look like. And so it all starts with leadership and kind of works its way down. But the point is like, if you get a member who's like really influential, like they will influence the culture. You know what I mean? If he's like, you know, pounding the table, like so that's how it works. And I, I think like, one of the best ways to crystallize what culture is, is like looking at romantic relationships. So like when you know when you first like start dating someone, it's like, it's like two worlds come together and like, you know, you kind of like figure out like, do you take the shoes off inside the house or not? You're like, you know, like, mm -hmm. do we like, what is our like nighttime rituals? Like, do you brush your teeth? Like then you get all those weird like things of like human living and how things get done all is fundamentally culture. Um, and so like in the beginning of a relationship, you, you're often like storming and figuring it out. And that's like culture kind of equilibrating to what, what is like, 
where two people meet. Um, and that's why you see, like, I think one of the reasons why you see um, arranged marriages work so well is because it's the parents determined making the decision of the offspring who to marry. And if the parents get along and they have a similar culture, the probability that their offspring coming from the same culture will get aligned, aligned and work out as well. So uh, there's tons of examples, culture. You need to define it for your organization and like really communicate it um, and then be intentional about it. And, and I would say like in any organization, culture, but like the big four processes that like shape culture is hiring process because you got to like bring people in. They're all contributing to culture. Onboarding process. So how do they come on? What is the rituals? You know, you can do like fraternity stuff, like a hazing, like, you know, hazing is ultimately like onboarding. And then um, third is promotion process. So how does the right talent, what are the right behaviors and how do people grow and, and rise in the organization? And then the firing process. What is, you know, we always, we had an expression, my co-founder loved it. It's like bad breath is worse than no breath. Hmm. And so like the firing process is actually very important. And if it's done right, that person will be rejected. Like the culture will reject it, them. And they should like, ultimately it should be very easy. They should like walk out themselves almost. Um, so those four processes are like any organization, I mean, is how culture is ultimately like intentionally designed. And so once we figured out, once we figured out that company and, and like, it was like, it was, we started really clicking, like, you know, and I think any companies, it's any group of people, it's super important. I, um, I love that so much in terms of culture is going to manifest itself regardless of wh whether you do it intentionally or not. It's like a jungle, whether you, whether you water the jungle, there's going to, a jungle is going to freaking grow. Like, do you want to grow in lines? Do you want to grow certain things? Do you want to be a garden? So being a super intentional with our love. And then the other aspect of that is like how human you realized it is. It's not the foosball tables, ping pong tables, or the kombucha on tap. It's these people processes, hire, fire, reward, um, and train. So that's so, so phenomenal. What, um, in terms of your, like, if you were to redo this again, because as you said, like these two um, um, families determined a, uh, a preset marriage. I don't know. What, what was it called? Arranged uh, prearranged pre -arranged marriage. Um, one of the reasons that's going to work so well is because they come from certain cultures and probably have certain values. You obviously have said it so many times over and over again already in this conversation about how like it's grit and hard work. And um, is that where you would like focus? If you were to do this over again, would you again go like this is our – our values, we value ourselves around um, hard work, hunger, grit, grind. Um, is there other ones that you would also make sure that you were intentionally inflecting into the business? Yeah, I would say it all depends on the game you're playing. So what kind of growth, you know, like what's the purpose of the business? If how far So let's say we want to do what you did. Let's say we want to take a business from bootstrapped mom's kitchen to 600. Yeah, and like the frugality, like then you would, yeah, I would say like to only, to survive, you would have to have that sort of like hard nose grinding culture uh, for sure. So I would, I mean, if you're asking, I would do it the same way, <laughs> you know? Yeah. The only thing I would do is like, I, I think I was just too hard on myself. I, you know, I, I could like, I could afford to actually work out and like take care of my health, <laughs> and like, you know, not. 
So maybe Sheryl Sandberg could put a four. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, just like a little yeah. bit, like not too much. You're like you got to suffer, you know. But like not- <laughs> three and a half. All right, three and a half. Yeah. So, but I, I think like you know, if you look at all the great stories, like of all the great companies, it's a for sure pattern of like, like grinding, putting in a ton of work. And so I think it's a full part of the equation of to be successful in the, as an entrepreneur. And like, the thing is like, the world is so fucking competitive. Like ev- it is, especially in the United States, like everyone's trying to eat you. Everyone's trying to kill you. So if you don't- Well, in your business, you want everyone. <laughs> yes, literally, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so it's like either you want to crush your competition or they're going to crush you. As you were doing that, you know, one of the things you, I think, alluded to was the challenge of, of scaling not only the the business but scaling the team that was going to scale the business. Yeah. How how did that how was how much struggle did you have in getting the right people who bought into that idea of grit, who bought into that idea of hard work when you got to the place where maybe it was a little bit more comfortable when it when I think you know when you, I think your phrase was like a little less fragile. How did you make sure that you were still getting people who had that that mentality or had that value set so that you could continue that culture? as you continue to grow. Yeah. I mean that, that there's like a group of like, when we were like sub 80, it was like, we we're so much, we were like such a cult and like such a family. And like, we had that once you start to get like to 120 like group, group of like organization, I think it starts to break down. And the reality is like the whole organization didn't need to be so like intense actually, like mm. only sections of it did. And so, you know, and there's kind of like growth was like this and then it levels out. And so you don't, you, I think it all depends on the life cycle you're at. What is like really, I always feel like, what game are you playing and where are you at in the war? Because it is a marathon. So like you, you can't go at full burn. You're just going to kill everyone and burn out. And like, I always view like my job as CEO is to like really understand where we're at from a morale and burnout perspective mm-hmm. and like figure out where that threshold is and like go to it. And then ease off, like relax, like go to, go to that threshold and then ease off. But if you're just running at that threshold, you're just going to lose people. And then the culture turns to like very negative. It's like, fuck, it's just that like, it's too hard. So, but I think it's, it's very difficult. I don't, it's difficult to kind of maintain a very intense entrepreneurial gritty culture. And I'd argue for like longevity, you almost don't want it. Like it's kind of like the early days you get there and then you kind of have to <laughs> mature uh, because it's not sustainable. Now, do you, do you know that by, by some metric, by, can you quantify that? Or is it a gut feeling? Like you just wake up one day and say, okay, if I keep pushing everybody at the speed that we've been pushing, I'm going to lose some good people. Or like, how do you actually know that that's, that it's time to maybe shift into that more mature phase? Morale. So like morale, you would, one, you get anecdotal feedback from people. You can, and then, then two, you can just feel it in their eyes. They're tired. They're stressed. You can like feel tension. Um, and then three, we're missing deadlines. Like we're late, you know, like thing projects, we're not getting things done. Um, so that's kind of like, those are signals of to, to reset. Um, yeah. How, in, how important it came back to me, my question, um, how, how important do you feel, um, vision is for, um, an entrepreneurial endeavor and how important is it to be sharing the vision? Did you have the vision from day one of like, 
we're going to the moon, we're going to scale, we're going to be, um, you know, nationwide, we're going to be in um, convenience stores across America, we're going to sell to a major food manufacturer. Um, where does the, or is it more nimble, agile, just kick ass today and see where it takes us? Yeah, for, for us in the beginning, our vision, and I think like visions, like what does the future look like for the company? It was always, we always wanted it to be big. Um, it did shift a little bit in terms of like how, how we were going to achieve the vision. But we, we always had the, like the strategy, like we're going to start with the CrossFit. We're going to be the bar of that market. And then we're going to have to figure out how to like go to the mass market, Whole Foods, everywhere else. And then we're, you know, we never thought about selling. We we're like, we're going to build a great food company. Um, and so that's, that's the, uh, oh, thank you. That's, that was like, um, the vision. And then how we did that was totally, totally changed. Like we we're pretty flexible in how we achieved that. Um, but yeah, that, that was our vision. You know, I'm mean, like, for example, I want my original vision was like to be a bar manufacturer and make different brands and just, I mean, the company's name was Chicago mm. bar company. So I, and I loved manufacturing. So like I love like there's nothing like better than making product like, and and so I, that was the vision. We're gonna have different brands. We're gonna do Comet. We're gonna co-pack other brands and like, you know, we're gonna build build a great business. And then, then we then we learned like that's like not a good business. So <laughs> you just have someone else do that. So and I think you want to be like stubborn on vision. So like, and I think Jeff Bezos says it, stubborn on vision, flexible on strategy. Mm. Very cool. Um, what are you up to these days? Um, so I'm ultimate goal is to like find another thing to dedicate my life to. And it's kind of a messy process. So it's like part investing, talking to other entrepreneurs, interesting, smart people that are doing things. So it's all like studying. So I'm doing that. It's messy. Um, but yeah, I want to get back to like focusing on building and solving one problem. The issue I have is like it's part ego and part I, I, I don't know why, but like it has to be bigger than RX. You know what I mean? Like, mm. so it has to be like a larger societal problem or something. I don't, yeah, and then I have to put a lot of risk in, or I have you know it, the game. So that's you, that's what I'm spending my time kind be... of studying, figuring out. Um, and the, like, I learned a lot from RX, and I like don't I don't want to deal with a business with with the same competitive dynamics. Like it was just like ruthless, like. You're getting attacked from every way, all these dependencies. And so I, I kind of want to do something that doesn't have many as many dependencies and, and, and competitive threats. You, uh, you may have just answered this, but I'm, but I'm really curious. Did Do you think that that's going to be in the food or health space? And and kind of a, a follow-up to that is, is, is that kind of what got you into RX Bar? I know, like you just said, like you love manufacturing. I think your family is kind of in, mm-hmm. in food, which is a strange sentence to say, but, but like, was it so that you could help people get healthy or was it like, I saw a market opportunity. I had a certain amount of skill or knowledge or insight and, and I, you know, I love CrossFit. So I, I like yeah. a few things blended here. Yeah. It was like, I love, I'm like an early adopter of nutrition. I love fitness. Um, I love products and I loved CrossFit. And so it was a combination of like personal interest and kind of uh, background and then a market opportunity. I was like looking at CrossFit and you know, it's funny, like the true entrepreneurial, like stories like if you and i were like ben if you were at the gym and it would be like i was literally like i love water bar but why the why isn't there protein mm. 
and like it just started, you know, like sometimes you have conversations with friends and like you're like, oh, here's an idea. Like that was the seed of the idea. Because I, I observed like Laura Bar came to River North, River North Cross and they're just like sitting on shelf. And I'm like, mm. people aren't buying them. I was like, there's something missing in that product. And I, you know, I think most people just don't commit to it. But like, you know, it's a humbling thing to go make bars at your parents' house and bring them to, you know, to gyms and Tupperware. Like that's not cool. And so um, I guess like being, being uh, humbled by dyslexia allows you not to give a shit about what people think. So uh, we guys were, um, I would, I would call you guys fairly disruptive. I mean, yeah, it might've been like a Laura bar with a protein. So somebody might be like, well, that's just a copycat brand like that. Um, but I think the disruption was you guys, which has been copied a lot. Now you guys put the ingredients on the front of the package. That to me was like the, whoa, this is going to go like, is it's like, no BS. Here's what it is. Um, who, who, like, how did that come to like, who's, how did that, how did that thing come to life? Like we should be doing the, yeah. So the I had an internship in Belgium. It just shows how like random things like in your career, like come later to be very valuable. And so like I was working at a fruit processing plant in, in Belgium and our biggest customer was innocent smoothies. And so it was a big deal for us. Um, and on the side of an innocent smoothie, they had, so it was, it was like a juice product. They had a, their ingredient statement was like an equation of like a banana, an apple, and like a, a squeeze of lime. Like that's, and that was it. And so when I came back to the States and started working on our expert with Jared, um, you know, I, I connected the dots and like, oh my gosh, we use whole real food ingredients. And so on the back and the way we like in our old packaging, and this was like our pitch, it would be like, you know, like no one really gives a shit about Rxberg. So like we, we would message, message the consumer and I would show an Rxberg and be like, it's like eating three egg whites, two dates, six almonds, four cashews. And we saw like right away, like the light up, like the reaction and, and you can see the yes. value communicated. Cause like, think about it. What do you pay for three egg whites at Seven Eleven? You know, it's like four bucks. So to have like a really communicated value really well. And so that messaging is just like, all right, that's what people like. And so in our branding, when we were doing <clears throat> the brief with an agency, it was like, RX bar is confusing. It doesn't mean anything. So it's like actually a problem. Um, and the name, yeah, you mean because the name. Because it's like, yeah. yes, I'm doing it as prescribed. Yeah. But then like a normal consumer is like, oh, What's it for? Like, is it a prescription? Is it a, you know, you know, like, is it a drug? Like, is it helping my colonoscopy? Like, you know, so it was like really confusing. Um, and so that was a problem. And then like, you know, we have, when you engineer a product like ours, it's gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, like there no added sugar. There's all these claims. And if you look at the design architecture in the space, it was like, all right, we got to put everything on that. And so we realized like, that's not going to work. We're just going to look everyone like everyone else. And so our design, like traditional design architecture is like brand name, like flavor, like appetite appeal, whatever. So we like flip that on their head. We're like, we're actually going to just leave with like value proposition. Brand name is going to be like not even, not a very trivial part of the space. And then just, that's it. Like we're not even going to do gluten-free, all that shit. Like it doesn't mean anything. Like, mm. and so that was, and that was a really risky 
because um, it was kind of going against orthodoxy with with design. But we intu we intuitively like had collected tons of data. We knew that that's like why customers like their product. Uh, and that it, it, once we did that, like the market just responded. Like it went, it took off. Like it was talk like product market fit. Like we went, we went from thirty six million to like one hundred sixty one million. Like you don't do that. You do that with like product. Like that's pure product market fit. Yeah. So do you think that whatever might be next? I know that you, you obviously don't know what it is, but do you think it'll be in that nutrition health space, or are you just open to? Um, again, that, that market opportunity matching with something that you're really interested in, something that you're willing to work really hard at. Yeah, I think it's more the latter. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to do food. I mean, I don't know. I, I think if you start a business today, it's got to like make society, the planet, humans better. So like, it will definitely be a better improving the world in some way. I just don't know the form or how. Because um, I like don't need to work. So if I'm going to do, if I'm going to like give up my freedom I'm, it's going to be something like a real good mission um and that's why like I'm, I'm not there i have like this tension of like i have a real sense of urgency to do it like i'm ready, ready to fucking go but then like i need to be really patient at the same time yeah. uh, which is hard how do you check how do you check those two things <laughs> because because that's that's an interesting tension how do you make sure that you're that you're not being too patient or that you're not running fast for the sake of running fast like do you have do you have a team around you who 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 you can kind of bounce these things ideas off of or is it just like a, a gut feeling you'll know when you know i have a peer group that yeah that that checks me um because once something that happened to me at the end of the tail of our x-bar is my feedback loop was closed off mm. because once you have some success like you don't you know, you can't really do anything wrong. And so you, you got to make sure you have your feedback loop, not closed off. Um, yep. So I have a good, like a small group of kind of peers who, who ultimately are like, I call like, like kind of like horizontal mentors. We're like, we're on the same level. There's, it's not vertical. They're like, we're like peers that mentor each other. And that like, we just, Love that. all that matters is truth. Like it's all that matters. So that, that I'm very grateful for that. And that, that helps. Um, but yeah, it's like a philosophical thing. I don't know. I mean, you know, my life. Is that pure group like a YPO yeah. organization? Yeah, it's YPO. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the best organizations I've been a part of for me. What What is YPO? Young Presidents Organization. So, yeah. So it's a bunch of Chicago entrepreneurs that kind of all, all different businesses, but like same fucking problems. And you realize like kind of what your business does doesn't matter. Like it's all the same shit. It's getting people together. It's leadership. It's working hard. It's solving problems. It's like, you know, you happen to sell bars. You happen to, you know, sell financial services. So when you figure out this next thing, will you come back on? We can talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Talk about how you're going to save the world. I, 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 I'm working on something now. I'll know in three months. All right. Well, the invitation is open. We're here right. for you. Thank you, man. All right, Peter. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on, giving us some time. Thank you to everybody out there. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Um, actually, before I do, anywhere that you'd like to point people, is there anywhere that you want to, you know, uh, get some attention on? Whether it's uh, one of the companies you're working on, a project you're working on, a uh, a mission, anything like that. This is my this is my promotional opportunity. <laughs> yeah, this is it. This is it. So don't well, don't 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 uh, don't drop it. I um, 
Man, I, I've invested in a lot of great entrepreneurs. So go to my website and look at some of the portfolio and, and buy their product. All right. You, we'll, put a, we'll put a link in the, uh, it's Latani, right? Yeah, correct. All right. We'll put a link in the show notes so people can go check out, um, check out some of those brands you've been working with. Thank you to everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I will be back next week with another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.